Um, Tonight's Bible reading comes from John 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, and, and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Amen. Thank you so much, Catherine. Just while I'm getting organised, I think you should give uh, the worship team and Kelly particularly a round of applause. Um, Kelly had um, a couple of hours' notice to run the service this evening, so uh, you wouldn't have even known, hey? So, uh, outstanding job there. And uh, yeah, it's great to be back. Thank you so much for those of you who've contacted us and welcomed us back, or welcomed me back. My family actually didn't really have a break. Um, they were all working and going to school and things like that, but it's good to be back. And uh, I certainly uh, am delighted to be here. I'm able to bring you the word this, this evening. So, uh, obviously, you're continuing in uh, the John series that has been occurring, and uh, I feel like I've missed out uh, not having those few weeks um, where uh, I haven't had those chapters, haven't had the opportunity to speak, haven't had the opportunity to hear uh, Pastor Darrell's messages as well. And uh, what, what I want us to do is uh, to begin just with a word of caution as, as we look at these more familiar passages. Uh, we're coming into this Easter period, and I think for those of us who've been in the church for a long time, those of us who've been Christians for a long, long time, we have um, a tendency sometimes to just gloss over these accounts. We've, we've heard them so many times, we've read them so many times that we just seem to think that we know it and we, we, there's nothing for us to learn really. And, and really we look at the triumphal entry, we look at the crucifixion, we look at Jesus' resurrection and we do that every year. And so you become so familiar with them that we miss the power of these events. We miss the power of the messages that could be ours. And so it's just a word of caution. Let's look at these with fresh eyes. Let's pray. Let's pause right now and ask the Lord to open our eyes and ears to what he has to say. And let's be willing to listen to what he has to say in expectation that he's going to say something that's new for us, that he's going to say something directly to each of us that will be something that we can take to our hearts and allow to change our lives. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you first and foremost that I can be back here. I want to thank you for the call you've placed upon my life to be a messenger of your word and that's such an honour and privilege. And so Lord, I pray and thank you that for me, you've allowed me to look at this with fresh eyes. You've allowed me to learn things that I didn't know before. And Lord, I pray for each and every person gathered here that they will hear something new from you as well, that their hearts and minds will be open and willing to hear from you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'll use me to touch someone's life tonight through Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So this passage that was read to us this evening comes off the back of some very uh, interesting situations or events that occurred and quite significant events. So it was on Saturday evening, uh, Jesus is served this meal and he served a meal by Martha and he's in the home of Simon the leper uh, in the town of Bethany and Obviously, uh, Mary's there, uh, who's Martha's sister, and Lazarus, her brother, is there as well, reclining at the table with Jesus. And this is, of course, the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. And so Mary enters uh, the room where Jesus is having this food, and she has in her hands a very expensive bottle of perfume. And it's equivalent in that day and age to a year's wage. And so Mary approaches Jesus and and she breaks this jar. She totally destroys it and and she pours this ointment over Jesus' head. We get that from the other Gospels. And it pours down over his head and onto his feet as we hear here in John where uh, Jesus' feet are anointed. And then Mary wipes her hair, uses her hair to wipe Jesus' feet um, at, at that time as well. And Mary came to Jesus perhaps initially not knowing what to do for him, perhaps initially not knowing how to show her appreciation for what he's done for her, how her life has been transformed. And so she takes her most valuable possession and she destroys it. It's gone. And she pours it out on Jesus as an act of worship and adoration. She is truly thankful for all Jesus has done for her. And for her, what she's done seems fitting. It seems trivial. It's not extravagant at all. But there's many who thought that it was extravagant. And some seek to rebuke her for this waste. But Jesus says she has prepared him for his burial, for the day of his burial. And reclining at that table as well is Lazarus. And a large crowd hears that Jesus is there uh, with Lazarus in Bethany. And so they come out of Jerusalem themselves and go to Bethany to see this for themselves. They want to see with their own eyes that Lazarus is indeed alive and to hear the account. And as a result, many of the Jews, the leaders as well, turn to Jesus and are following him. And then we come to tonight's passage. And we're told the very next day, a large crowd had come that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And up until this point, we've seen Jesus shunning the limelight. Um, he, it began way back in John 2, the wedding in Cana, when we went through that, remember that? Mary came to Jesus and said, hey, these guys have run out of wine. And Jesus said, woman, what is this to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And this continues all the way through the Gospels where things happen. And Jesus says, my hour is not Yet here, my hour has not yet come. We also see Jesus telling people who he healed not to tell anyone who had done it and what he had done. We see Jesus silencing the demons who acknowledge who Jesus is and are very fearful of him and he tells them to be silent rather than declare that he is the son of God. And up until this chapter, we only see Jesus on very odd occasions declaring that he is the son of God privately. He doesn't make any public declarations of that until this point. But that all changes now. He reverses what has been the normal behaviour for him and he makes very public this statement. And this is a very flamboyant entry. It's absolutely crazy. It's quite a celebration. And he goes from being very private to this incredible entrance into Jerusalem and he's deliberately drawing attention to something God is doing. 
and he accepts being proclaimed as king. And when we read this account of John and compare it to Mark, we see that Mark is written in the context of one who was with Jesus. It gives the account of one who is travelling with Jesus. But this account of John is one who was actually in the city in Jerusalem who goes out to meet with Jesus because they've heard about him coming and approaching the city. So in John we read, So they took branches from palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And there's so much contained in this one little verse that we could speak on this for ages and time prevents us from doing exactly that. But they took these palm branches and they gathered uh, along the route. And when I thought about this, I I just thought about this massive crowd of people. And if you were here this morning, you heard Pastor Darrell say, you know, the Tour de France... It's like that. All the people were just lining the side of the road. And we might have a little bit of trouble uh, thinking that it was like that. But at this time in Jerusalem, Jerusalem at the time had eighty to 100,000 people who lived in Jerusalem. At this time of year, there would have been about one and a half million at least who were in Jerusalem. It's an incredible crowd. And in fact, we do have it recorded 30 years later. Josephus records that 30 years after this event, there was 2.5 million people gathered in Jerusalem. It's an incredible crowd. So maybe it's a conservative estimate, 1.5 million people in Jerusalem at this time. And they took these palm branches, they gathered along the route and they knew Jesus would walk this way and so they're waving these things joyfully and they're crying out, they're celebrating. The palm branches were a sign of victory. It was a sign of a victorious king. So this was a massive celebration and it originated 200 years previously with the Maccabees. And the Maccabees, you may have heard, they revolted against the Syrian forces that held Israel at the time and particularly Jerusalem they were occupying and they raised up and defeated them. And when the Maccabees returned to Jerusalem, the people waved the palm branches and so it became a sign of victory and celebration which was continued um, throughout the time in Israel. And these people are waving these palm branches for Jesus now. They've heard of the great and amazing wonders that he has done and they're celebrating him as king. They know about Lazarus and their expectation is that Jesus is going to save them from the Romans. And so they cry out, Hosanna. And for us, Hosanna is just a word of praise. It's a word of perhaps celebration. But in that day and age, Hebrew and Greek, the Hosanna word actually means save us or save us now. And so those gathered were crying out, Hosanna, save us, Jesus, save us now. They wanted deliverance from the Romans. And as they said that, they'd be thinking back to Psalm 118, where it says, save us, we pray. That's basically Hosanna. Hosanna, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from that house of the Lord. Sound a bit familiar? This is what they're reflecting on. This is what they're remembering. So the call for Hosanna was one that was used to address a king with a need. Save us, we pray. And that's what these people were doing. The blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord was part of this song of ascents. And it was originally something applied to pilgrims returning to the temple or coming to the temple. But it also had come to be one of the passages with an application to the promised Messiah. Remember the question John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask Jesus? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? 
The waving of the palm branches were a sign of a victorious king and it was done in celebration of a great victory. And you may consider these things a little ambiguous, not to be taken seriously, it's just coincidence. But there's no doubt at all when they declare Jesus the king of Israel. They state it unequivocally. That's added to the psalm. That wasn't contained in the psalm that they were referred to. When we think about back in John 6.15, the feeding of the 5,000, after that incredible miracle, the people gathered and they wanted to take Jesus forcefully and crown him king. But at that time, Jesus withdrew. And here as he enters Jerusalem, the city of the great king, they are again acknowledging him as king. This is what they dreamed of. This is what they had hoped for. A king, the promised Messiah, who in their minds would overthrow the Roman Empire, would release Israel from all of their bondage. And this time, Jesus doesn't shy away. He doesn't tell them to be silent. He doesn't take steps to move away from the people. He doesn't deny that he is the king that they're speaking about. But still, he isn't what they expect. And God takes their expectations. God takes this celebration that they're doing and he uses it for his purposes. They expected a Messiah who is going to conquer and kill, but that isn't who Jesus is. Jesus is a king of peace. And those who were with Jesus, those who had rushed out to see him from Jerusalem, had this picture in their mind of what he was going to do, but he messes up all of their expectations. And he goes and he gets a young donkey. In fact, the colt of a donkey that had never been sat on before. It's very sad that we as a people never learn. And I include myself in that. We look back at these people and we say that they should have known that this is what the scriptures were proclaiming. They should have known that this was the promised Messiah. They should have been able to see that in all the scriptures that they had. And yet they wanted Jesus to be on a war horse. They wanted him to come in and overthrow the Roman Empire. But that's not who God said Messiah would be. God said the Messiah would come riding on the colt of a donkey. But are we any different? Especially in this day and age. We have so many bad habits where we project onto God what we believe he should think. We project onto God how we believe he should respond. We read the passages of scripture that we are okay with and we ignore the ones that challenge us to do things that we're not comfortable with. So are we any better? We deny his very commands and say it's not for me. When really... Their commands for each and every believer. And Jesus' action in riding the colt of a donkey doesn't change his status as king. But what it says is that he's not the sort of king that the people had in mind. He is the promised Messiah. And even riding on the colt of a donkey, he's fulfilling the prophecies that were spoken about him. Zechariah 9.9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous. And having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. If they had really understood any of this, if they were honouring and elevating Jesus as king, 
That was right and fitting. It was the correct thing to do. But they didn't understand what was really going on. And even his disciples didn't get it. We're told in John 12, 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified and they remembered everything that he said and they remembered these things that had been written about him, then they realised what had happened. They realised what Jesus had done. And so it wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection that the disciples were able to grasp the true nature of his kingship. It was a kingdom of peace and salvation. That's what it says here. Sorry, in in Zechariah 9.9, it says, he's righteous and having salvation. He had the salvation, a kingdom that had little to do with worldly gain or wealth, but everything to do with eternity. And the crowd, well, the catalyst for the crowd's excitement was this great miracle, the raising of Lazarus, something no one had been able to explain. They went to Jesus because he had raised Lazarus from the dead and they wanted to go and see Lazarus themselves and so they did so. They were again worshipping Jesus for what he had done, not who he was, but all he did was so that the world would understand, so they would understand that he was our king who came as a sacrificial lamb. I want you to think about what was going on as Jesus enters Jerusalem. If we go with the 1.5 million people that are gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover feast, the biggest celebration that they have, there'd be approximately 150,000 lambs that would be slaughtered in this week. And so as Jesus enters Jerusalem, he'd be surrounded by those lambs, the lambs that would be sacrificed for the sins of all those gathered in Jerusalem. Jesus enters surrounded by them and there's no coincidences in God's kingdom. Everything that is happening is controlled by God, preordained by him. And I don't know how, we're not told how, but Jesus somehow arranged for that colt of the donkey to be available to him to ride, with no protest from the owners. In John 5, we see opposition to Jesus um, mounting against him. And yet in many cases, we're told that there were all these attempts to kill Jesus and they were unsuccessful because he was protected. His hour had not yet come. In John 11, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Jewish leaders became more determined to kill him, but Jesus withdrew because his time had not yet come. But now, as we read this account, everything has changed. And just a little bit later on in John 12, 23, we read that Jesus said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All of this is in God's perfect timing. We know from Mark 12, that the Jewish leaders had said, they'd made the decision, we will not kill Jesus during the Passover. We don't want to stir up the crowd. We don't want that to happen. But God's plans and purposes are greater than men's. These guys who were determined not to kill Jesus during the Passover, when did they kill him? It was Jesus that was the true Passover lamb. And so Jesus needed to be killed during the Passover, so people would make that association, so they'd understand that this was God's perfect timing, that as he was slaughtered and the other lambs were slaughtered, 
He became our Passover lamb. And John expresses the frustration of the Jewish leaders in verse 19. You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They were frustrated because their efforts to get rid of Jesus had come to nothing. They'd failed. And by the end of this week, they'll be gloating because they killed Jesus. They saw it as a victory. They saw that they'd finally destroyed him, or so they thought. And what they don't realise is they didn't take Jesus' life from him. Jesus laid it down. He chose when he was going to die. It was planned before time itself. And this is God's perfect timing. Jesus gave up his life for us, our king, our sacrificial lamb. The lamb that would pay the price for sin once and for all. How does this apply to you? How does it apply to me? I want you to think about those in the account we've heard read this evening. There were people who acknowledged Jesus as the King of Israel. They acknowledged him as their king. But that was only true when Jesus appeared to be the king who would conquer and destroy the Romans. So the people who accepted him as the king of Israel were people who wanted him to do that. And, and when he didn't do that, perhaps they were part of the crowd that called for him to be crucified. Perhaps they were part of the crowd that wanted Barabbas more than they wanted Jesus. You see, they had their own agenda. They wanted, to do, wanted Jesus to do what they wanted him what they wanted him to do. Part of that crowd, as I've just alluded to, listened to the false messages given by the Jewish leaders of the day. The Jewish leaders wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They saw him as an imposter. These are the people who should have known better, the people who knew the law, the people who knew scriptures. And they stirred the crowds up to have Jesus crucified. And so in the midst of our lives, who are we listening to? You heard Roz this evening say, you've got to surround yourself with Christian people. People who support you in your Christian walk. People who will be honest with you, hold you accountable. That's exactly what should have happened here. People should have been thinking about what these guys were saying and judging whether it was sound or not. And so if we call Jesus our Lord and Saviour, if we are calling him and declaring him king of our lives, do our lives reflect that? Have you yielded yourself to him? And I know if I speak to you one-on-one, -on -one, you would say yes. But I really want you to think about that. Have you yielded your studies to him? Have you yielded your work to him? Have you yielded your goals to him? Have you yielded your time to him? Because that's what he calls you to do. If he is king of your life, he needs to be lord of all. Or he's not. It's really that simple. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this word. I want to thank you for this season. And Lord, I just pray for each of us that we won't forget what has been spoken about this evening 
And then now, Lord, we walk, we move into a time of discussing uh, what we've heard this evening and answering some questions. I, I pray that you'll give us a boldness to talk about the things that are weighing upon our minds. And the Lord, those people we're sitting with will be people who encourage us in our faith, people who will pray for us and genuinely care for us. And the Lord, this will be a time that is productive. This will be a time that will actually instill things in our lives that we'll remember throughout this week. Father, I want to honour and glorify you with my life. And I know that's the prayer of many here this evening. I pray it will be the prayer of all. Transform us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before we break off into the groups, I've obviously got the questions up here. Uh, you can come grab those once I've finished bumping my gums. Uh, but we have to pack these chairs up tonight. We have the week of prayer uh, over the next four days. So let's not rush to do that. But uh, if we can do that before we leave this evening, that'd be great. I'll have to direct you as to where we're going to do most of that. Uh, you've also heard that um, Ros is going to be up the back for Bloom. So uh, please uh, go and see Ros if you want tickets or if you want to ask questions about that. And uh, she'd be more than happy to help you. Please don't hear the Bloom is the ladies' event. Uh, it is for Mother's Day high tea, but you can shout women to go to that. You can go as a family, whatever you want to do. So please do that. But guys, let's uh, get together in groups. If you're new to the church, um, please don't feel awkward. We just sit and talk about the message for a while, and uh, we'd like to encourage you to stay and just grow in faith. So, so over to you guys. Thank you.